been looking for a good time I've been looking every day I've been waiting for the sunshine It's been coming my way I'm your host, Yvonne Mason, with my two co-hosts. I'm not going to call him a guest tonight because he is a co-host. My regular co-host, Ian Bush, and my other co-host, music artist, Ed Roman. And we will be continuing the um, anthropology and music. And believe me when I say Ed knows so, so much. He just amazes me. I just want to sit and just let him talk and and soak up all of his knowledge like a sponge. The song that we played at the beginning was one of my favorites by him called Coming My Way. And it tells a story if you listen to it. And, and it goes back to things like we said last night, how things evolve and how things recycle because the the tone of that particular song as I'm listening to it takes me back to the 60s when folk music was part of the genres that was popular along with the birth of rock and roll. Ed, my dear, thank you for that song, and thank you for being here once again. Ian, thank you for being here too, sweetheart. So shall we continue? Absolutely. Good being back. And it just like it was just like twelve hours ago, fourteen hours ago. <laughs> yeah, yep, you are right. <laughs> well, twenty four, what am I saying? Eight and eight. What what am I saying? It can be whatever we want it to be. It's our reality. <laughs> that's right, that's right. You know, I was thinking uh last night when you started the show with with the Bessie Griffith number, uh, Motherless Child and I hadn't heard that version. 
and I've been thinking about this all day. I was like, man, you know, I should, I should like download that or check it out somewhere on like, you know, Spotify or something like that, or even get it. But I remember the first time I heard that, and I was 14 years old. I was in Ottawa. I was in my parents' apartment because my dad was involved in politics. He was a federal MP, um, but it was a late night, just like getting, you know, stats on football games. <laughs> And I turned on the TV, and lo and behold, Woodstock was on, the entire film, which was the Warner wow. Brothers sort of depiction. Well, yeah. And Richie yeah. Havens was the opener at Woodstock, and he, he started off by playing uh, Handsome Johnny as well as Motherless Child uh, as part of the sort of opener. And he, and he mentioned the folk thing. Well, here's Richie playing to, like, you know, 400,000 people, one of the biggest mass seatings of, of people everywhere. And he's playing that tune. And 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 I, that song has always stuck with me from that from that moment because it was such an impactful movie, right? And and the depiction of the moment in time. But I I play a version of that on my bass, just sing and play the bass of that. So when you brought that up the, last night, it was it, it conjured all these memories. You were talking about how it connects to memories. I can literally remember the age I was, where I was, what I was doing when I heard that number, right? And it thrusts me back in time once again to that moment of experience. So, and I uh, so was a senior in high school. You're welcome. I was a senior in high school at Woodstock. In fact, Woodstock happened right after, or either right after or right before I graduated. And the, the tone of that um, gathering, it, 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 people were... People and when I say people, I'm talking about the the older generation. They were all scared to death. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. We're going to have mass violence, mob rule, and all they did was go up there and smoke pot and listen to music, <laughs> among a few other things. But it, it, yeah. it, that was that was one of the largest gatherings of people of young people where there was no violence meeting of the masses and that's what was so contradictory about it all was that here you had the Vietnam War raging with young men you know that were out in the field you know fighting a war but you know you're going to go up in arms about a bunch of kids out in the field listening to music smoking pot but, but the culture the culture was so different then probably far more accepting of something like that today you know but than it was back then because it was still something that was being brought out of the back from you know the mystic the mystics of of India and things like that I mean you know, marijuana culture and its development inside of music was almost hand in hand mm-hmm. uh, especially yep. that that era right um but again it it liberated a lot of people in terms of you know their thinking about stuff it it was an the the 1960s and and like you I went way back in in time and in the 1960s i was born in 51 so i had the opportunity of of being cultured with the 1920s 30s and 40s music that that followed through the the pre-war post-war era and then the beginnings of rock and roll in the 1950s that grew out of jazz and blues and then full-blown rock and roll in the 60s, along with drug, sex, and rock and roll. And I saw all that evolving, and I'm thinking that even today, that period of time was the greatest period of time because, like you said, it was a period of of awakening it was a period where women started controlling their own lives where they said we don't have to be married anymore we don't have to have families we don't have to keep house we pretty much and and these women today think that they're doing something honey it, my generation of women started that movement <laughs> Well, you're right. It's like a renaissance period, too, with a lot of things. I mean, between post-World War, you know, the Second World War and, let's say, the 1970s, 
the advancement in technology even inside of the music industry from the type of radios that were developed so that you could have a seven transistor system and you'd have a better wavelength pickup to the the idea that okay well what was rock and roll i mean the birth of rock and roll itself was the advent of new technology replacing the radio the television comes into play all of radios you know classic hosts milton burrow steve allen all those people all of a sudden left for the new medium which was television and and radio sitting around scratching their heads going like well what do we do Mm-hmm. And, and playing all of this new music, especially now, and then birthing an industry created around that. So many people, you know, were were being signed even in the 1960s that, that could write and play, and you know, had had some sort of interest in what they were doing musically. But the, the people got signed with, like, you know, the cigar smoking, you know, cognac drinking <laughs> executives were like, oh, well, I, I don't know, sign it and put it out, see what happens, right? There was there was like a, a almost a birth of like all this new music that people were introduced to that would never, you know, I mean, think about it. Would Tiny Tim work today? No. You know, like, I mean, <laughs> there's somebody standing out there that's like an anomaly that goes way to the other end of the spectrum as opposed to somebody like Santana or, or you know, that's a little bit more organized and palatable for a wider audience of people. But but technology then goes through a transformation. Radio goes through a transformation. And and if you think about, like, innovators even of instruments, Les Paul, Leo Fender, I mean, th- those two people alone developed so many different things that even came out of post-World, Second World War technology. The types of microphones that were being used in amplifiers, which were sort of these tube amplifiers that were being used for aviation and, and military purposes as well as naval purposes, started to be used in radio studios of all kinds, and hence upgrading the quality of the technology. I mean, even the Beatles themselves, they were the first artists because of Les Paul, was basically taking a two-track machine. Him and Mary and Mary would play, uh, we'll talk about Les Paul and Mary Ford, would play mm-hmm. to this two-track machine, play it back through a set of speakers, and then play to that on another, uh, on another reel-to-reel system. So they were basically creating the first four-track. And hand-in-hand, hand, Les Paul worked with EMI and, another, and a couple other companies to build the first four-track system. The Beatles were one of the first bands to ever use a four-track system. It was shipped to them, actually. Ironically, it took a long time to get there. When it, when it got there, they forgot to send the cable to plug it in. They had to oh, wait no. another couple of weeks for the cable to get there before they could start recording properly. <laughs> but, but you know, again, between that, the, the, the upgrade and amplification, electric guitars, I mean, Leo Fender doing what he did, you know, he was a TV repairman. He was a radio repairman, and he, he started to play around with these pickups, you know, that people were using in Europe for all kinds of things, like Greek bazookis and all sorts of stuff. And hence the Telecaster was born. And, I mean, you think of how many people in rock and roll music, even all through the 1950s and 60s and 70s, we go back from, like, we could say Jimi Hendrix, we could say Eddie Cochran, we could say uh, Chuck Berry, we could say there's so many people that started to... and, And they themselves, the artists, then birthed another generation of musicians that, so it's the repercussion of the excitement of I mean people I'm sure ran out and wanted after seeing Hendrix play they wanted to become a better musician they wanted to experience it in a completely different way and they also became innovators themselves so again it's that it's that part of the, the musical part of of this that's that's lingering into the next generation into the next decades that are so influential from one generation to another that it impacts such a wide variety of people I mean, when Les Paul and Mary Ford were playing together, unbelievable guitar players. Mm-hmm. And young kids, left, right, and center, at the age of 5 to 10 years old in the 1950s, all wanted guitars um, and because of them. And, 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 and some of those people were like Jimi Hendrix, Eric Clapton, uh, you know, the next generation of, 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 of heroes that came out of that era that then inspired even people today, like decades later. So, so it was a really interesting time where, where there was a lot of integration of a lot of interesting things and a, and a wonderful cross-pollination of music. If you look at the Monterey Pop Festival, you've got everything from 
the Mamas and the Papas, Hugh Masekela, uh, Duke Ellington, no, was it Ellington at that one? Count Basie, I believe, at that. Jimi Hendrix, uh, like just the Who, a, such a wide spectrum of artists. And, and, and the audience then consequently is exposed to more. Um, and people like John Hammond, you know, one, there's one person alone that brought all that music together to be able to sort of say, hey, look, look at all this stuff. It's really interesting, amazing things uh, going on here. And and I and, and again, a couple of items that <clears throat> I wanted to add on to that. Um, I'm glad that you brought up the progression of technology. I was going to jump in on that, but I didn't want to ruin your train of thought. Um, no. <laughs> so it was actually in 1827 that we had our first international American hit, right? So 1827? Yeah. So 50 years later, uh, Edison made the phonograph, which was like practically the first radio, right? So it took 50 years of word of mouth to change from essentially word of mouth to something that I could, um, you know, produce music with and, and and take that to other people so they could listen to it as well. And so uh, you already hit on the electric guitar one that in like 1954. That's when that was released. So when you think about it, you know, you think that the past is so far in the past. But, I mean, 1877 was only, uh, you know, a couple hundred years ago. So when you think about it, in the scheme of things, in, in, in the world, that's not that much. That's not... That's not very old, so there's still a lot of things that we can develop and make and yada, yada, yada. I mean, just look at what we've done in the past 20, you know. I remember running around the block with a Walkman with the CD, you know. Um, now we have phones and iPads and, you know, all well, that. I know, and so, it, it, you're right. It is It is the, that it, it, when you, 100%. It's a, it's a blink in the eye of the time of the cosmos in terms of what we've been doing and experiencing even just here as in general as people even in the last yeah. let's say 11,000 years um and and in the grander scheme of things the cosmos like i said it's 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 not even probably even a half of a blink of an eye uh and there's so much more to come i i think more the statements about it being like this sort of renaissance is because it, it, like the Industrial Revolution, birthed so many new ways of thinking about technology so that we can have exactly what you just said, these new instruments and devices of purpose. Um, right. And, and, and again, I mean, it's funny, like, how often I'm using a, a piece of high technology to do something, to record something. But, you know, there's a big part of me that's just you know wanting to be human and be around a campfire with a whole bunch of people with some cold beer and sit and tell stories and sing songs without the need for any kind of an electrical umbilical cord you know and i and i think that's what it will always be like i was think it was you Ian, maybe even last night that said that that there's just this sort of fundamental purpose to it all it extends far further back than you know what we recognize yeah. it as today and i think it'll always be that it, it's always a mechanism of 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 storytelling it's a mechanism of of memory it's 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 a way to connect people together with ideas um well and, i think the other cool thing too is that um you know music music does this right but we could just kind of roll it all up into art in general that art transcends you know, every single demographic and every single piece of history, like there's always been a painting or a song or a book that has gone through the ages, you know. I think that's really cool, too, about music. You know, we talked about that last night, building blocks, just to see, you know, oh, you know, jazz started rhythm and blues, which started rock which started heavy metal you know and that was the other funny thing too i didn't know heavy metal was um like so young as well they're saying that like 1970 was when heavy metal and i'm like really like not 
what, 40, 50 years ago? Like, no, it was, it's young. It's a baby. Well, like, you know, right, you exactly. to, I mean, that's, we're thinking like, you know, Sabbath and Ozzy and, and bands yeah, that sort yeah. of birthed other music. Like, you know, it, 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 in its earlier stages, it's still, you know, heavy rock and roll. But it is, mm-hmm. it is, it has that idea of heavy metal. The first person to coin actually the phrase heavy metal was the lead singer from Steppenwolf when he says, "I like smoke and lightning, heavy metal thunder." That that word yeah. heavy metal was then used through the rock and roll purpose of saying like, well, you know, it almost became a colloquialism for something tougher and harder. And then more so in its advancement, even through artists like Shredders and people like Ingvi Momstein or Steve Vai or there's a huge classical input and overtone to so much of it because it it exemplifies a lot of that high-end construction and speed and prowess that is that is uh, necessary in order to be able to to play that kind of stuff so it's interesting to see that that's another like a cross-referencing of two different genres meeting themselves, sort of like heavy, intense rock and roll with a class, meaning classical. Well, and the other thing that, you know, I really liked to, to uh, research when I was doing the research for the show tonight was the progression of um, how we do the mediums and, the, and, and how we convey music. Because... Um, you know, I forgot that MTV only came out in, like, 1981. And, I mean, I'm not trying to get my dad's age away, but he was only born, like, two years later. <laughs> so, like, you know, when, when, when you think about it in terms like that, when you have those reference points, you're like, man, like, that was revolutionary, and look how far we've gone into other mediums. We have VH1 and all that stuff, and it, it kind of made me excited to think about what's next you know and I, I think maybe you can respect that as a as a artist as well well you know i think it's weird because like i i think it's like kind of traversing into new borders and new boundaries mm-hmm. that maybe yet aren't fully well understood or properly articulated and what i mean by that is that I mean, obviously, music are, are frequencies. They're vibrations. They're organized in a certain way. It, depending on what it is, it's a song, it's a concerto, it's it's a, a jazz piece, a funk piece, it's R&B. We can define it as such. But ultimately, they are, they are us responding to a frequency, the emotional capacity to be able to connect a lyrical idea to that emotional frequency response is sort of the trick in the art form in itself because they sort of they feel out each other they sort of work hand in hand but in a science fiction kind of way what there the possibility of certain things happening especially with like new integrated cerebral technology and uh, that you can actually probably induce certain feelings through the brain, and you can do this without integrative technology, uh, to, mm-hmm. as I mentioned, we were talking about Robert Moog the other night and, and talking about his sort of concepts behind the synthesizer using frequencies as a, he- a healing method, and whether it be the actual vibration in the presence of the vibration or using actuators by lying on actuators on special tables and chairs and all sorts of things. They are, they are then the body's response to those frequencies, and usually the purpose of thus, in, in terms of what he was trying to do, was, was medical purposes. It was to try to help people. But what could also be a part of that is a greater examination of it being something that's more like a, 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 a drug. It's something mm-hmm. that you download, and the frequency is something that extre- makes you extremely calm and docile will immediately put you to sleep, will just make you jump around and, you know, have an, an, an exorbitant amount of energy as a result of listening to the frequency. Those things are all very possible. And, and why I say it's more like in a science fiction way is because, you know, in my 51 years of rolling around the star, I've kind of seen a lot of change. And, and, and even in saying that, that's not a lot of time. But what is, mm-hmm. what is happening, I see happening, is a sort of kinetic exponential growth to technology where, where we have now uh, are starting to not be able to, to do certain things with technology. 
So, for instance, what I mean by that is I can take apart an auto amplifier, I can recalibrate it, I can change the tubes, I can change the electrolytic capacitors, I can put it on a machine, I can see the waveform, I can, I can calibrate the bias properly and know how it works. I can change everything that I need to on my instruments, from my strings to my pickups to my potentiometers. I can fix old radios. There's so many things that are still tactically related to me being able to understand how it works and, and me being able to fix it or understand why it's broken. Now, if my iPhone breaks, like, and I can fix an old telephone, if my, I, I don't know how to fix an iPhone. I wouldn't even know where to begin. It, that technology for me has superseded me as a person. It's now it, it, it advanced to a certain point where I can't even understand how to break it down to be able to better understand it and to be able to fix it. So the same thing with music. I think music has been making this transformation slowly, but in time, and I don't know because your statement has got a lot of gravity. And when you say, when you think about it, it's not that long ago. Well, it could be not that far in the future that you know you can get the latest oh, yeah. emotional download from iTunes for just 99 cents, and it's the it's just the happy frequency, and you can just put it on all day, ringing in your head. And, and it makes you feel a certain way. But with that said, and as I say, it has a science fiction, almost Stanley Kubrick kind of overtone to it. It's not something personally for me that I want to participate in <laughs> or find a lot of like communal activity in. Music is also very communal. It, it, yeah. it's, it's, we talk about Woodstock. It's the tribal masses meeting as as a whole, right, to listen to all these ideas and the culturalistic ideas of the day. That becomes far more singular and organized more around emotional response, immediate emotional response, as opposed to subliminal understanding, philosophy, all a layer of different things that go hand in hand with sort of the more three dimensional aspect of music. So I I mean, well, I mean we, we could go anywhere oh, with sorry. that. <laughs> right. Well I I mean we've seen songs be used in revolutions and and trying to, you know, get against oppressive government control and bring people together, like you said, and inspire and motivate and all that. But, like, also the other thing that I, I've seen that we've been researching is that, like, music is... I can't even think of the term right now. I had it in my head a minute ago, but music is one of those things that we... It, it's so instinctual. Like it's a it's it's rhythm, and that rhythm like everything is a rhythm in life. You know what I mean? Like every everything is a beat, everything is a is a tune, everything is a you know a driving force that kind of keeps all the wheels turning. And I think that's why it's been so powerful and so moving through through life. I mean, you've seen I, I think you two may have seen the video with the uh, Alzheimer's patients. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And dementia. Where they hear a song from their, you know, they they talk to them normally, and then, you know, they have dementia, <laughs> so they're they're talking like dementia patients. But then they put on a song from when they were children, or when they were, you know, in love or whatever, and they're like completely different people. You know, like that's that's the power of music, like in in or general. I mean, even with you can either destroy or create, or you can. You can, you know, bring together or keep apart. Like, it, it's so transcendent, you know? They've been using those similar experiments with stroke, people that have had strokes. And they're saying oh, really? that, that reactivation of the memory through the playing of music can help accelerate somebody through their, like, rehabilitation process. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, I've, I've seen the Alzheimer's one, and it's fantastic because, they, it, like, they turn on like in a completely different way they're like they're like new people almost like not going from like completely dormant obviously but it, it, it it's it's brilliant to see it because you re- again you like you realize how how powerful it is and you know i mean on the same note of me mentioning the whole science fiction thing i mean that is so clinical in its interpretation you know and in what i'm getting at because it's machine driven it's, it's bioelectric but that you know the universe doesn't work on those principles 
they, there's, there's meant to be a sense of chaos inside of, of things, even inside of a, of, a, of a musical piece that you may hear somebody, you know, a crazy Paganini piece or something. And you'll talk to well, the musician after the concert or whatever it might be, and they'll, and they'll be like, how was it? And they'll be like, well, you, usually musicians are their worst critic. I could have done this better. I missed this one note. I, whatever it might be, you as the listener will probably never know. But as the performer, they know. And there's something about that, and, and I'm not saying it's, it's important to be incorrect, but the human condition is not perfect. And hence, neither should be the artistic expression, and nor should it be judged based on some kind of a graph or, or a sense of spectrum to say, well, this is what makes this a good song because it has all of these attachments to it. That's horse play. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it literally needs to be always, and, and, and as a result, it goes through those, through those it changes in, 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 in its expression over centuries sometimes. I mean, there's classical composers today, but in terms of what classical music was of yesteryear, it's very different. There was jazz music being written and composed and performed and conceived of all through the 1940s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. It's still making a progression into a... But, but you know, if you put it on... If you put on a piece from that was recorded like last month, you go, that's a jazz piece. And if you put on something from ni- the 1950s, you go, that's a jazz piece. Because it has all those emotional hallmarks that are attached to it. And those, some of those emotional ha- hallmarks are the rough edges of our existence. I remember listening to people talking about Mingus when they were doing a, a big Charles Mingus concert and, and, and the Mingus big band was playing. And people were talking at the rehearsal about the stuff that Charles had written for them to perform. And one of the guest mm-hmm. trumpet players was Wynton Marcellus. And he had said in the interview, he goes, like, you see this? He's like, you see this part? I, I can hardly play this part. If you looked in an etude book, the high, high difficult level etude books, those, that would be in there. It's like next to impossible to try to play. But Mingus purposely <laughs> wrote that, that way, so that the instruments sounded like they were struggling. There was an emotional connection to the reason the composition was created as such. He just didn't want this verbose sense of bravado happening in the instruments and the musicianship. He was trying to get the musicians to struggle in a certain way with the performance because the emotional content would be thus amplified to a whole new level. And that's the imperfection of it that makes it perfect inside of it it. and the cosmos works the same way there's nothing perfect about its dimension shape size or what it decides it wants to do or where it wants to go how far it wants to stretch um and 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 we are a reflection of that in many Mm -hmm. ways it's important to remember that it's not supposed to be so clinical all the time right it's supposed to be open to interpretation well it's supposed to be open art in any form and this was something that, that I learned through the different mediums that I do, is, is art is always supposed to be, as, as Ed says, imperfectly perfect, open to interpretation and each listener's or viewer's or reader's perception. So this is what makes art, including music, so wonderful what I hear in a piece of music may not be what someone else hears, but it's still imperfectly perfect. And it's it's amazing how music has, has done so many things. Y'all were talking about the dementia patients. There's also an aut- several autistic children who are nonverbal until they sing. Mm-hmm. And then when they sing, their entire outward appearance changes. You can't believe it's the same child because as soon as that music is over, they go back to their nonverbal, withdrawn self. And and to be able to to use something so imperfect to hear it come perfectly out of out of a child's mouth who is autistic just it makes my heart sing. I love art in any form. 
Absolutely, yeah. I, I mean, uh, sorry, were you going to say something, Ian? Oh no, no, I was, I was listening as well. Well, and, yeah, it's it. I mean, I've worked with autistic kids before uh, as a music teacher, and I know that you know that's one thing for me. Being told a child is autistic is fine, but not letting me as a teacher or them experience me as a teacher and them as a student is not a good idea. The best thing is to let it happen and figure out what it is the child wants to learn, what it is they want to, to work on, how they want to express themselves. And usually in short order, there's a, a wonderful connection between just simple things. And, mm-hmm. and again, like you say, Yvonne, it's 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 this other way of thinking. Even as a dyslexic, I understand this because I'm most at home playing, and 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 being with people, and singing and, and, and to them. To others, it may be an intimidating thing, but that's my dyslexia. In a weird way, it, it I ask a lot of questions, and, you know, and I say kind of what's on my mind immediately. Sometimes that makes people uncomfortable, and sometimes it intrigues people because they <laughs> want to know why I want to know so much. Um, but, but in the same thing, when you're mentioning with autism and stuff, or just this now, like I, I worked with one kid, and he he had a, a lot of um, spinal issues, and there probably wasn't a chance that you know he would be a proficient player. But the, the idea that you know weekly we would get together. I would tune the instrument in a certain way so that it was, you know, viable to be able to touch it in a certain way and it would make nice sounds, provided how we would touch it and do certain things. And it was a great thing for him through this process of of feeling like I'm connecting with this person every week, I'm making sounds. He felt proud of himself, right? That was the other thing is that inside of the achievements of those certain things that you're doing musical, there's personal uh, senses of, 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 of pleasure that are coming to you through what you're doing, but that sense of pride for accomplishing something. Uh, I even remember that as a, as a young person and a young player with people that I went to school with, even in high school. It was a, it was a healthy set of challenges we always laid down for one another. Uh, it, if I went home... You know, and I learned the f- four four extra bars of something that we were working on in music class, and I came and I was like, I did it, you know. And people were like, oh, cool. But then my buddy had learned, you know, four more bars that you know I didn't know. So I go home and try to get up not only on those four bars, but an extra four bars, you know. So we were there was a sort of healthy competition, but whether or not it was going on between two people by trying to complete a piece, every night we worked diligently towards getting better. Um, and I always used to say it's a healthy addiction, you know, to to my 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 uh, my students' parents. Like, well, he's in playing his guitar for ten hours at night or whatever. He won't go to sleep. I'm like, that's good. Let yes. him play. Let him play. Yeah. Right. And and the thing with with art in any form, my my brother who is younger than me by thirteen months is was labeled and I hate labels because we're all unique in our own way. I live in a right-handed world and like you I I turn my my words and my letters around and when I get tired I stutter. The words just won't come. They're there but they won't come. But they labeled him as retarded. And so my mother being the the wonderful woman that she was is well the brain is a muscle we can we can exercise and of course there was no resources but the whole point of this is she started taking art my mother was a great artist my brother started taking art he he painted some of the most beautiful pictures i've ever seen god and bless you yes i'm i'm telling you she she was an amazing woman and to tell someone you can't because you have this quote unquote disability restricts their ability to progress to go as far as they possibly can because they've already been told they can't so when you say good on you for him doing 10 hours in the bedroom I'm going do 10 more because it's fantastic <laughs> that he understands yes I can <laughs> 
Well, that's just it. And, and, you know, the best thing you can say to an artist is that you can't because yeah. that will just make you work a little harder at it. And and a lot of people, like even like even speaking, and I think you know this about me, with dyslexia, I mean, that's one of the big reasons why I started playing was because I struggled so much academically. And, and that was a way to kind of like break out of my my academic shell it was it was something that was easy because it was tactical and and responded immediately to something that I did if I didn't work on it it didn't get better if I did work on it it got better it got better uh, all of those things gave me a sense of of personal pride outside of like you know struggling with report cards and tests and spelling and reading um it, 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 it again, so many people that are in the art world and in, in, in multiple fields have come from some sort of background where you know it's not like they don't fit in, but you know academics maybe wasn't always our thing. When I say academics, it doesn't mean that they're not clever, wonderful, beautiful people. It's just that the the, the framework of normal you know school and in the regurgitation of things and schedule, it's just like that's not the way the artistic mind works. It functions far more spontaneously in the moment, especially when it comes to creation yeah. and when it comes to the excitement and passion of learning. Because so many people are driven by, you know, something. They go, "Well, I didn't know about that. What are you talking about?" And before you know it, they're on some kind of a search trying to figure out. You know, whether they're on a the computer or looking at books or going to the library or, you know, there, there's this passion that drives the need for knowing more. And, and art, for me, works the same way. You, you're driven inside of the process of writing something because the feeling is pushing you. The idea is pushing you. The catalyst for what you're writing about is pushing you. And it becomes this search. It's like, a, you know, a, a, an artistic safari of trying to figure out what's in the jungle and, you know, can we build what, can we build some kind of a place to stay? You know, is, it, is there water? You know, what about food? You know, there's, there's, yep. there's it's, all, it's always a journey, right, in this process. It shouldn't be scheduled or framed or put in any kind of, you know, so even with categorizing things, I get it. People that go into a place and they want to know there's a genre in this area and that's where I can go and get it. But at the same time, it's not always meant to be caught. It's music. It's art. It's as simple as that. And when you think about it, when when the the um, the early musicians they didn't even know the, what the word genre was. They didn't even have it in the vocabulary. They bar- barely spoke any kind of spoken language, but they knew how to how to make a piece of wood hum. They knew that when the wind whistled through the trees, it made a music. When you took a reed and put it between your hands and blew on it, it made notes. They knew that, and they did it. Yeah, Yeah, observation, absolutely, observation. I mean, uh, that's kind of what we were getting at the other night with, last night even talking about, like, well, how how did they come up with an idea for this? How did they? What did they do in order to to make this happen? How did they conceive of it? Uh, I, I remember there was one thing in a, a little anthropology journal I was reading about where they had found a sort of a an, an arced rib bone at a, at a, a very very old site, a couple hundred thousand years old. The bone was hollow, and the marrow had been pulled from it, and it was at a scattered bits of remains at this location. But in the, the sort of side of it, there was two extra holes that were obviously purposely put in there with a sharpened stone or something like that in order to create a variance in pitch. So, like, if you're, you know, a primitive person sitting around a fire and you've just pulled a bunch of marrow from a bone and it goes, and it makes a whistle... You're going to notice it at such. In fact, it might even create a sense of like spontaneous humor for you because you're like, well, what is this note? Where did it come from? Uh-huh. And as a result, that that passion behind the humor of, of of the discovery of it leads you into the epiphany that wait a minute, if I put my hand at the end, it changes the quality of the pitch. So that must mean that if I put holes in it, I can have multiple versions of those qualities of pitches. So it's like, again, through observation, 
through probably happenstance, they then start to see that there is this potential for for something else. And then that could actually lead into the idea of, like, well, where does a bagpipe come from? I mean, some of the earliest bagpipes that maybe aren't even Scottish come from the Middle East, and they're made out of, like, goat stomachs. Yep. And And they're not even double-reed instruments, right? No. They're just reeds. They're just pipes, which makes it even more interesting. And yeah, and it's more like a recorder. Yes. Getting getting back to um, making music help someone become better in other areas. Ian, this was probably well, in fact, I know it was well before your time. When Mel Tillis started singing, he picked up the guitar and started singing because he had a severe stutter. But when he sang, he did not stutter. And he was one of the best recording country artists back in the day. So when when was Mel? Was he what, 1950s? Late 50s, 60s, early, early 70s. So that's interesting because Ringo Starr's first band that he played in before the Beatles was called Rory Storm and the Hurricanes. And it was yes. like a sort of early rock and roll skiffle band. But Rory had the same issue where he would stutter continually until he sang. And after, after that, you mentioning Mel, I had no idea. I, I actually either forgot about it or I didn't remember. But they named that that issue after Rory. It's called Rory Storm's Disease. Where if you have That's a. Interesting. a, a isn't that interesting? And, and, and it, it actually now even conjures up something else, too, where uh, they had named, you know, Dizzy Gillespie was famous for having those huge cheeks as a, as a trumpet player. Yes. And sometimes that happens where the neck starts to bloat outwards and creates these sort of pouches mm-hmm. that are like where air fills up inside of the neck from overblowing your trumpet for long, long periods of time. That's now called Gillespie pouches. So if you have that as a trumpet player and a sort of overextended neck from blowing, overblowing on your trumpet, it's called Gillespie pouches. <laughs> I, I, I did not know that. <laughs> See, ladies and gentlemen, this is, this is why you don't want to miss these shows because you just don't ever know. We don't script any of this stuff. We're just sitting here having a conversation, and Ian fell down on the job because he didn't bring pizza. But... <laughs> Right. Why do think I've been so quiet? I've been shaming myself all night. <laughs> He's eating it quietly by himself. He doesn't want it. Yeah, right. I'm all like, I, I, I looked at the phone very suspiciously. Like, did they just hear me? No. <laughs> you can hear that but, dipping but, sauce in the background. Yeah, right. Hey, guys, uh, I brought bread sticks. No. <laughs> but, but this is why I love doing this show. Because it's a give and a take, it's an ebb and a flow, and at the end of the show, we have all learned something, the the three of us, and hopefully our audience is going, wow, I didn't know about Gillespie pouches, wow, I didn't know about Mel Tillis, that's why he, he sang, was because he stuttered. And and when he would be interviewed, he he would stutter, and of course he had learned to to own it, so it didn't own him. And he would make light of it, but when he would open his mouth to sing, it was like an angel. Well, you know, it's funny you mention that too. I think of King George and and the King's speech because yes. a lot of the work that was done with him came from. Uh, people that were working with shell-shocked soldiers that had lost the ability to speak or became severe stutterers as a result of being in combat. So the idea of, of using that as a, as, a, as a method for him to be able to put his language together without breaking apart was by getting him to sing it, right? And, and quite often I, I know that, that that's where the sort of in terms of your your brain, the way that it's functioning, it starts to function on a completely different level because it's going into a, a memory source 
which isn't related in, to the immediate aspect of cognitive thinking and speech. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's tied to that memory, and hence it has a flow to it. So when the mind starts to look at it or observe it or utilize it from where it sits in the subconscious, it, it doesn't have that interruptive moment. And, and it happens for a lot of people, too. Like, I mean, sometimes when I get really, like, exacerbated about something, I might stutter a bit. And I, mm-hmm. it's because I can't, I can't actually find an, the speed that I want to speak at because my mind is running at such an incredible pace. I get um, and you. I, you know what I'm getting at? So I get you. Yeah, I feel the pain. I have to do sign language, and, and my people that that know me, they, they and it's my own sign language, they interpret the sign language because the words just, the brain's going and the, the mouth's going, hey, stupid, I don't talk that fast. <laughs> <laughs> Keep up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's wrong with you? You're slacking behind. What are you doing? Yeah, really? <laughs> Well, and I think with um, approaching the last 10 minutes of the show and whatnot, I think the other really big takeaway from this as well is us reminding people about the the power of keeping things in the perspective, especially when it's in regards to time, because we think that in music it's already been, you know, done over and over and over again or it's already been remade or remastered or whatever and there's nothing new but really we kind of already identified that like music's been around for hundreds of thousands of years and there might still be something new around the corner and you just have to have that faith in yourself that you're going to go find it you know well you know I think also too it's like a day to day expression uh, where it's I see it maybe coming back in a more like something as simple as that without it having to have so much overhead and, 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 and mass community connectivity. So it's kind of reverting back in some ways as to say, well, you know what, if I'm just standing here on the street corner clapping my hands and singing a tune and, and somebody's having a nice day because of it or I'm having a nice day because of it or it's helping me somehow, that's also like really important to remember too that 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 probably has never stopped nor ever will it ever i mean even for myself i know if i've injured myself and it's a bad injury like i remember once i dropped a barbecue grate on my foot after i cleaned Ooh. it and I, it's heavy and immediately i fell to the ground and started singing and singing because it was a way to shut off that 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 connectivity to the pain in the moment and go somewhere else and and remove myself almost to, like physically mentally excuse me from my physical being just till the pain subsided um so again i mean it sounds kind of crazy it's a barbecue grate but it's the healing quality of of music you know just on a personal note every day uh for yourself even if it's a song you like to sing or something you like listening to uh, put it on, turn it up loud, dance, let, express yourself in whatever way you you feel like you need to, because that's what it's it's meant to 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 do is to uplift you and to move you into into different realms. Um, and so, like again, with what you're saying, Ian, yeah, there's you keep an open mind about it. Even the history that stands behind us, you probably couldn't spend a lifetime or two you'd need maybe more listening to everything that has ever been written recorded or sung it is it is an unbelievable amount of information and we just keeps getting more and more developed and there's not a library big enough to fill it <laughs> no. no or or jukebox no and it just and I'm sitting here thinking I'm going to go out on a limb and and take advantage of of my dear friend here because I just had an epiphany and I want to run it by you guys live don't give me an answer tonight think about it but what if we did a series of shows on music of the decades going as far back as we can putting that music on playing it 
talking about it and then maybe bringing it forward to the next decade when we bring in the new decade and show people how this music has evolved. Sure. How did I know you would say yes? This is one of your favorite subjects. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, I like the I like I like the 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 connectivity to history too. Because I, sure. I you know, I I find that I mean, really interesting as to who we are as people. So I mean, to be fair, she said sleep on it, so I would have said sure as, as well very quickly, but I would <laughs> She's like, sleep on it and tell me later. I'm like, well, I want to say yes, but I'll sleep I didn't, on it. I didn't, I didn't want to put y'all on the spot, but it's just Oh, no, like I think it's a natural. great idea. I actually, um, I remember we did something like that. Um, why do you keep saying fifth grade? Like, I guess fifth grade was just really impactful for me, but we literally did in our history class, um, they looked like little CDs. And we did the same thing where, you know, what was the music of the 70s? Well, it was this and that and this and that, and this is how it impacted this. And so when you were saying it, it brought me back to that time where I'm like, man, like, fifth grade is important. So, so- <laughs> yeah. So, Ed, if you have time and want to do some research and send some music and you tell me when it's good for you, we'll start putting this series together. I don't know how long it'll run, but we'll start putting this series together and have fun with it for as long as as long as it lasts because I think we're at a time in history where we need to take the past and and integrate it into the present so that we can look towards the future. You said it. I'm in. I'm, I, let's email. Let's do like a five-part series to start and see how it goes. Okay. You five see that on television series. all the time. And in an exclusive five-part series with Yvonne, Ian, and Ed, <laughs> they go back into the decades talking about everything from classical right. music, jazz, funk, R&B, spoken word, and something you may never even heard of. And yeah, that is I've... our tagline, ladies and gentlemen. you got to <laughs> right. write that down, Roman, uh, Ed, because that will be our taglines. That's how we're going to market this. Just as long as I can sound like the, uh, the crotchety dateline person. Hello, my name is Ian. <laughs> Let me take you down the journey. Hey, that sounds like Rod Sterling. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I forget which newscaster it was, but I just remember he was always like, hunched over but still like putting his elbows on his knees very like ragged looking like you just woke him up from his nap and he's all like oh the news again (laughs) now that sounded like rod sterling on the twilight zone (laughs) i don't know i don't know but a five-part mini-series about music not only of sound of sight but of mind perfect See, it, it, all right, it, you're in charge of the marketing tags because you got it, baby. You, ladies and gentlemen, this is off the chain. As as you know, we never do anything scripted, and we just put together a five part series on the history of music and and bringing it forward. And yeah, as it is, you don't want to miss this. It's you better come be clean, Yvonne. Like I mean, you say it's called off the chain, but you better let people know that you threw the chain away. Well, that's true. There was never any chain. Yeah, never been a chain on this show. <laughs> what chain? What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, exactly. Maybe we should rename. We should rebrand the show. What chain? <laughs> oh, chain. That's just a euphemism. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, guys, it has been a pleasure. I'm gonna that that will be your homework now. We'll get it all put together, ladies and gentlemen. Watch for it next Monday night. My friend Mary Brotherton will be here. As you all know, she is the founder of the Unique Magazine. She is absolutely wonderful. We'll talk about many things. And after that, we will have um, who's coming on in February? Michael Coleman will be with us February the seventh. Corey Coons is biting at the bit to come join us. So check us out next week, and, and I'll be off the next week, and then we'll come back on the 7th of February. Until then, this is Off the Chain with your host, Yvonne Mason, and my co-host, plural, Ian Bush and music artist, Ed Roman. And I thank you guys so much. Y'all are absolutely marvelous. Ed, you, 
my head's exploding with the information you've given Love me. Love you guys. Love you guys. And I stay in contact with the email circuit uh, wherever we need to about the shows. You got it. Absolutely. So get, Great. get busy, guys. Love you guys. Talk to you Love soon. Love you too, guys. Yeah. Bye, Good guys. Night. Bye. See you, brother. Bye, Yvonne. See you, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, guys. Wow, just wow. Just, oh my goodness. That was, that was amazing. That was absolutely amazing. Just a minute, baby. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.